And as I open up the word, Lord willing, I want to pray for our brother. I know that he is in transition, if I'm correct. And uh, we want to pray for God's blessing upon, upon that. Let us, let us turn our hearts to God in prayer. Uh, our Father, in Jesus' name, we again come and give thanks to you because of your goodness and your grace towards us. Father, we're thankful that we are a people who are always in transition. We are always on the move for you. And Lord, you have a mission in this world, and you have gathered a people, a flock, which you are in fellowship with, and you use us, you gift us uh, to serve uh, the body and to serve in the context of this world. We do pray for our dear brother, uh, Pastor Katuma, and we pray that your mercy and grace would be upon him and his family. We pray that wherever he sets his foot, uh, you would use him to make your name famous. And all of the challenges that are before him, we pray that you'd give him all the wisdom and equipment necessary to, uh, to handle those things for your glory. And we pray that you just give him a heart uh, for your people. Continue to do that. He already has that because you've given it to him. And uh, use him mightily. And now, Father, as we come before your word and we pray that you would speak to us today in such a way that uh, we would be made more like Jesus. Teach us, rebuke us, correct us, train us in righteousness, and we pray that you would be glorified. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning I want to uh, begin a series in the book of Exodus, <coughs> Exodus called uh, The Name of the Lord. And as we, Lord willing, work our way through this book, you will find out why the series was named that, because uh, Exodus is, is in some sense primarily concerned with God making himself known uh, to uh, his people and through them to the nations. And, um, and so as we, as we look at this uh, book, I want this morning just to look at the first several verses of the first chapter and uh, deal with the subject, God knows and grows his people. God knows and grows his people. And uh, as we work our way through these texts of scriptures, it's, um, we're not starting in Genesis right now, we're starting in Exodus, and uh, there's a number of reasons for that. Um, I don't want you to think we're out of order. Uh, but the, the author of Genesis uh, first appears in uh, the book of, of Exodus. Uh, Moses is the author of the Pentateuch. Uh, there's often uh, people who debate that, but um, Jesus said uh, the law of Moses, and so at least Jesus believes it came through him. And so we want to not go beyond that. Um, there's always naysayers who claim otherwise, and then in the end, as years go by, they say, oh, they have a V8 moment. And they realize, oh, it, it actually was what they, we've been saying all along. Um, and not only that, but the, uh, one of the centerpieces of the Bible is found in the book of Exodus. The center of the Bible is, is what God has done through his Son, by his Spirit, for his name and for our good. Jesus said that he was what the Bible was pointing to. And uh, one of the, uh, the, the things that we had mentioned before with respect to Exodus, uh, there's only one section of God's Word 
that it seems as if God picked up the stylus himself and said, uh, I'll write this down myself. And that was the Decalogue. And the Decalogue begins with a preface of the Gospel. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. How did he do it? By the blood of the Lamb. And that was the first thing God wrote, was the Gospel. And then he said, here's how you covenantally respond to that Gospel when he wrote the Ten Commandments. And so it is very interesting how God centers his own writing, the only thing he's ever written. He wrote the whole Bible, of course. Uh, he's the author of it all. But there's some kind of emphasis that God took the stylus and said, I'm going to write it in stone, and I'm writing the gospel and how people are to appropriately respond in covenantal love to that kind of gracious gospel. Let's read the text and uh, talk a little bit about uh, God knows our names Let's be sure to remember his and how God grows our nation. Let's be sure to represent him. Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. God knows our names. Let's be sure to remember His. Um, this book is directly connected with Genesis. You don't see it in most English translations, but this book actually begins with the word and, which is a conjunction, as you know, if you remember your grammar, and it means that Exodus is directly connected with Genesis. And many of the themes you find in Genesis you find repeated in the book of Exodus. Genesis is primarily dealing with the creation of everything and the corruption of everything. And then how God comes behind all of that and graciously covenants with a people and creates them for his praise. Notice the, the language of how things are put here in the first verse. The sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Israel is a name that refers to the nation. It's a name that was first given to Jacob himself when he wrestled with, with the angel. And it's interesting how the repetition here, the sons of Israel, it seems like why wouldn't you just say the sons of Jacob? Because that's who they are. Uh, but but there's, there's a point that's being made here as you will see unfold in the, in the book of Exodus as a whole. Israel came with Jacob, sons who, as Jacob had, they must learn to wrestle with God in prayer in light of his promises and in spite of their perversions. They must learn. You remember how it went down when Jacob wrestled with the angel. And the angel said, let me go. It's time for me to go. And he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. What did the angel say? What's your name? 
Jacob, deceiver. He had to admit the reality of his own perverted ways. And as soon as he did, God says, your name's Israel, because you have prevailed with God and man and overcome. And so these people in the book of Exodus must learn to overcome. They must be sons who must learn to wrestle with God in prayer in light of his promises and in spite of their perversions. It's something true of every one of us. I don't know how many times you may have realized how sinful you were and how sorry you might have been and how hesitant you were to come to God and cry out to him, but these people in Exodus learn that they need to cry out to God. We see that as soon as chapter 2 closes, that the people of Israel cry out to God in their affliction, in their suffering. And God is a God who knows. He's a God who hears. And Israel, as you may have gathered already, they came to Egypt because of a famine. That's why they were in Egypt in the first place. They were, they were on a pro-life mission. No political uh, uh, point made, but uh, they were on a pro-life mission. They were going to die. But they came to Egypt to live. And you see, their, you see their life played out in the life of their father, Abraham. There was also a famine in Abraham's day. He came to Egypt with his wife, Sarah, to, to, to live and not die. And, and God did with Abraham in Abraham's day what he does in this day. He plagues all of Egypt because of, of Sarah, Abraham's wife, and they eventually get back out of, of Egypt. And you'll see the same thing played out here. But they were in Egypt because of a famine. And they were, they were told by their, uh, by their uh, family member Joseph and even by Pharaoh, come, come and live and eat the fat of the land and enjoy uh, the best part of Egypt in Goshen. And, um, and so these, these particular sons are named here. And if you look at the names, Reuben, down to Joseph, you notice that these names are out of order for the most part. The first four are in order, but uh, they're not in the order of their birth. And you have here uh, what is a somewhat of a hint of what, what's going to happen in this book of Exodus based on these people's names. God knew their names. He knew who they were. He knew where they were. He knew how they were and what they were, what they were doing. And Reuben is a name that means God saw. God saw his people. That's what he told Moses when he called him. He said, I have seen the affliction of my people. I have heard. That's what Simeon means. It means heard. I have heard their cry. And, um, and I have come down. He demonstrated how he was committed. That's what Levi means. He was attached to his people. And he was Judah, their praise. He was the one that they were supposed to praise. And he, he's a God who paid them their wages, Issachar. They plundered the Egyptians when they left. He paid them. It's funny how Moses' mother got paid for nursing her child. I wonder how many mothers would like a wage for the middle of the night feeding. Um, but when Israel as a nation left, 
Egypt paid them. They were instructed to ask the women for gold, for silver, for garments, and all kinds of resources, and, and they just gave it to them. So God paid them for all of their labors for 400-some years in slavery. And that's what Issachar's name means. It points to that. And not only that, but uh, Zebulun means a good endowment. And that's what God was taking them to, a good endowment, a good land, a land full of milk and honey. And it's interesting how Benjamin's name was first given by his mother, Ben-Ani, means son of my sorrow, because there was a hiccup in the desert, that they had sorrow because they failed to believe, but eventually they became the son of God's right hand and went into the land. And they were used as God's instrument of judgment, Dan. And they wrestled with the nations, Naphtali, and they found happiness on the other side, Asher. And um, when it was all said and done, Joseph, which meant the reproach has been taken away, and God aimed to add more nations to Israel. Israel was a first starter nation. It was the first step in God reclaiming humanity. That they were supposed to be a priestly kingdom who were supposed to be used by God to bless the rest of the nations. And so you see here in this naming of the nations, God remembers his people. He knows what they're dealing with. And Joseph, it says, was already in Egypt. He had already arrived in Egypt before uh, the rest got there. And you know his story. He was, he was sent there, as it would seem, by his brothers, sold as a slave because he was hated. And Joseph is a picture of Jesus Christ in Scripture. You see that in his life. He was hated by his brothers because he was favored by his father, and he was sold by them. It's interesting to note that Judah is the one who sold him, and Judah is the Hebrew way of saying Judas, who sold Jesus. He sold Joseph, and Joseph became a slave, and he was falsely accused, as Jesus was too. And he suffered, as Jesus suffered. And in spite of his suffering, he still preserved life, because the Lord was with him very much like the life of Jesus. Jesus Christ also is someone who, as Joseph is a picture of Christ, Jesus is one who also went to Egypt. And he went to Egypt because there was a spiritual famine in the land. Because there was a, a renewed Pharaoh called Herod who wanted to kill him and take his life away. And so he went to the land of Egypt to preserve his life so others might know him and, and have life and blessing in his name. And it's sad when, when God's people have to go other places than where God's word is proclaimed to find safety and peace. That Herod had become like a pharaoh so that Jesus, the Messiah, had to run away to find shelter. 
And, um, and it happens because God's people forget His name. They don't remember His name. And whenever we forget the name of God, we always fall away from God. Because a person's name is their reputation, it's their personality. God's name is not just a, a label, it speaks to His character, it speaks to His being, it speaks to how He is and how He handles people and how He handles circumstances, and it speaks to His providence. God's name, the name of the Lord, is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they find salvation, they find safety, they find shelter, they find security in the name of the Lord. The name of Jesus means He comes to save His people from their sins. And so Joseph was, was there already in Egypt, and uh, when we left Joseph in chapter 50 of Genesis, he was, he was dead and in a coffin. And God had used uh, Joseph in, in profound ways. He had used him to bring salvation, to bring life, to preserve life. It wasn't, it wasn't just the sons of Israel sending their hated brother into a land, of, a foreign land. It was, it was God who sent Joseph to Egypt. God was behind the whole thing. God knew Joseph. He was with Joseph. He knew his name. And he was going to use Joseph to add many more to the remnant. You know, it is said of Israel when they were in Egypt, it says, Our fathers, when in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. But God saved them. Why? For the sake of his name. That's why he saved them. The Bible says that Israel was exiled for they did not remember the days of their youth when they were naked and barren and wallowing in their blood. The Sabbath uh, is given to us so that we might rest and we might remember our slavery and our Savior and our salvation. In Deuteronomy 5, it talks about how the one of the purposes of the Sabbath is for us to remember how we once were a slave and how God came and delivered us in Christ Jesus and gave us salvation. We celebrate the Supper because it serves to remind us of Jesus' love. It proclaims His death, His love, until He comes. And so we have to be a people who because of the wonderful things God has done for us, a people who make a an effort to remember the Lord. Remember Him in our households. Remember Him on our jobs. Remember Him wherever we are. We're called to be people who have God on the mind all the time. If it means putting a post-it up on your mirror at home to remind you that God is good or that God is faithful or God is holy all around the house reminding yourself of the worth and the worthiness of God. If it means putting a sticker, probably a good thing, uh, a God is faithful in, on the dashboard of your car to remember, <laughs> to remind you to be faithful <laughs> as you drive the streets, going 20 miles over the speed limit and say, wait a minute, God is faithful. I can also be faithful. But we have to be people who are mindful of God. 
I've said before, I'll say again, that many people who don't even have the truth have taken time to memorize the entire Quran. And it's a false document. And yet we have the truth. It's not a call that we have to memorize the whole Bible, but it just says something about the devotion that's given to falsity, falsehoods. And there should be so much more devotion to that which we know to be true. The Bible says that the word of God richly dwell inside of us. We have to be people who remember. God remembers our name. He names us. Don't let the names in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Chronicles, and Ezra, don't let those names get you off track as you read your Bible. Some people get to a list of names and a genealogy, and they, they just say, well, what does this have to do with me? And just remember, think about the people whose names are there. And for them to open up a book and say, there's my name, God remembered me. That there's a book up in heaven that's got your name, God has remembered you. So we have to do our, our privilege to remember him. God grows our nation, let's be sure to represent him. You see this uh, pointed out in verses um, 5 actually through through seven, it says that there were 70 persons, and it's interesting that the, uh, one of the times that 70 appears again is in Genesis 10, where uh, God deals with all of the nations that sprung from Noah's children, and there were 70 nations named. And Israel, as a people, were eventually going to represent the nations. They were going to represent the nations to God and God to the nations. That was their calling. You see it in Exodus 19. A kingdom of priests, a holy nation that God was to use to share his name with them and then for them to bring the names of others to God. That God has called us to be a kingdom of priests as well and that is our function and our calling. And then it says something very interesting. It says that, that Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. Joseph that God, God had used as a Christ figure that even though he was in the pit, he was raised up. He had wisdom that no one else had. And God raised him from slavery. He raised him and crowned him. And people were to revere Joseph. You notice in chapter 41 of Genesis that what was, what was to be cried out before Joseph when he came in his chariot was bow the knee. The same thing that will be true and is true of Jesus Christ. That Joseph is a Christ figure. Everyone had to bow to him. Everybody's life depended on Joseph. Ultimately God, but God's use of Joseph. He's the one who manned the store cities with all of the food and the grain in it. And so when, when, the, when the people ran to Pharaoh and said, what are we going to do? He just said, go to Joseph. Talk to him. He'll take care of you. And so everything depended on Joseph. He was revered. He was the one ruling. And when his brothers came, he demonstrated how he could be a god, uh, 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 not a god, obviously, but a pharaohs were considered gods. But Joseph was a leader who was considered forgiving and giving to everyone who came to Egypt. And he was considered a saving figure. But now he's dead. He's in a coffin along with all his brothers and that whole generation, they all died. 
But in verse 7 it says, But the people of Israel were fruitful, increased greatly, multiplied, grew exceedingly. The land was filled with them. And this points to the fact that sometimes we lose leaders. Sometimes we lose godly leaders. Sometimes godly people leave us and whole communities die off. And we wonder, can we survive? Can we thrive without them? But, but this passage teaches us that ultimately our success is not in a man or a woman or in a particular group of people that we might esteem, but our success, our prosperity, is in God himself. And that these people uh, grew and they, they developed and they multiplied exceedingly because, because God promised they would. It's interesting if you look at the development of things. In, in Genesis 1, God tells Adam, and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. He tells them, you, be fruitful and multiply. Then when God recreates the earth, as it were, in the days of Noah, He says, Noah, you, be fruitful and multiply. But then when He gets to Abraham, He doesn't tell Abraham to be fruitful and multiply. He says, I will make you fruitful. I will multiply you exceedingly. I'm going to do this. And when Sarah and Abraham got together and tried to engineer something with Hagar and it kind of blew up in their face, then God in chapter 17 of Genesis comes back and says, I am God Almighty. I'm going to do this. I don't need your two cents. I can do it all by myself. And that's just what he did. And you see that also in Genesis chapter 26 as the promise is reiterated uh, to Abraham's children. God tells them that I will make you fruitful. In verse 4, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and, and will give your offspring these lands. And I will bless you. And uh, you see it again in chapter 46 when Jacob is convinced that his son Joseph is alive. And God comes to him. And what God says to him in 46 Verse 3, then, then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And so you see that this great multiplication at the end of this, these verses here is, a, is, is, is God growing his people. God does the work. He's, he's given his promised word to his people. He said to Sarah long ago, a barren woman, way past menopause, ready for the funeral ceremony, he says, I'm going to give your wife a child, he said to Abraham. I'm going to make her fruitful. God demonstrates that this is a work of him, not a work of us. Even Paul, the apostle, said that Apollos watered and he planted and Paulus watered, but, but God is the one who makes things grow. He's the one who grows his people. No one else. Jesus himself said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus grows his people because he's with his people, working through us to grow his church. 
Jesus also is to be contrasted here. You see that in verse 7, there's growth in God's people in spite of Joseph's death and his brother's death. But, but with Jesus, there's growth because of his death. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And he spoke of being lifted up because he was speaking of the death he was going to die. That through the cross, Jesus was going to bring all nations back to God. He was going to bring representatives of every single nation back to a reconciled, restored relationship through his death, through his burial, and of course through his resurrection. Growth is something that we should pray for. Growth comes by the Word of God, and it comes through the prayers of God's people as the Spirit works through the Word of God in partnership with the people of God to bring about a great filling of the world with people who will name the name of Christ. And so we should pray for the Lord to give growth, not gimmicks. There's often many times people can fill churches with all kinds of gimmicks and all kinds of things that are seemingly attractive. And we can fill the house if we, if we get somebody in here who can really sing. We can fill the place out and we can, we can even sell tickets and really pack the place in and balance the budget and do all of these things. But we should be praying for growth that comes from the Lord, that comes from His Word, that comes through his spirit, as his people cry out to him. That's the kind of growth that we should want. The goal, as you know, as we've heard, is that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just like the waters cover the sea. I once heard a gentleman on uh, TV, sometimes, yes, I do listen to TV evangelists, um, but I heard a, a TV evangelist one time say in the inception of his ministry, we're not going to talk to you about sin. We're not going to talk to you about the wrath of God. We're just going to be positive. And so, and, and he's filled the place out. But why have people come? Why are they there? For the glory of God? I doubt it. Because of conviction of sin? I don't think so. They're there because everything's positive. Well, the scriptures teach us that when Jesus started his public ministry, one of the first words out of his mouth was repent because the kingdom of God is near. Now people need to hear about their sin so that they can run to the Savior. That tends to be the way God does things. It's the kindness of God that leads people to repent, but that kindness is not seen as kindness unless it's seen upon the backdrop of what you actually deserve is that when I see that I deserve the wrath of God, and I see that I have sinned against a holy, holy, holy God, and then I see the cross, then I understand the kindness, then I'm led to turn and repent and come back to God. So we need to pray for God to grow His church. You know, one of the centerpieces of this, this book, the book of Exodus, is found in chapter 9, and it's interesting how God does things. You know, in the book of Genesis, uh, when God uh, dealt with our corruption, the very first word that God gave after our, our, our being led astray into sin was the gospel. A 
as the first thing that God announced was the gospel. Before he talked about Eve receiving pain and, and Adam being frustrated and dealing with pain, he proclaimed the gospel, I'll put enmity. But he said it to our enemy. He said to Satan, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He's going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel. He proclaimed the gospel, and then he said, now as for you, woman, as for you, man. And so our, our, our punishment was given in the context of a gospel-preaching God. And again, in chapter 9 of the book of Exodus, he does it again, speaking to our enemy. He says in verse 16, but for this purpose I have raised you up, Pharaoh understood, to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. And that's what the Exodus, that's the trajectory of Exodus, is that the name of the Lord would be proclaimed in all the earth. And so you see it when they eventually get to the promised land and they get to Rahab, and Rahab says, we heard about the Lord. We heard what he did in Egypt. And, um, and so may it be said of us, May it be said of our generation, may it be said of City of Hope that, that through us God filled the earth with more people who knew His name, who followed Jesus, and they do it for His glory, for His praise, for His fame. May it be said of us that because we are here, God worked through us in such a way that a great multitude of people were added to the company and they made the name of Jesus famous. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, in Christ's name, we give thanks to you because you are a God who remembers us. You name us by name. And you have a purpose in calling us by our name. And, and you, you, you intend and you aim to add to us. You have put us on this earth not to sit, but to serve and to share you with others. Father, I pray that you'd raise us up to that end, that wherever we set our foot, you would use us to make you famous. And we would be explicit about Jesus. We wouldn't be vague and ambiguous. We would be explicit about Christ and his coming because of our sin and because of your glory so that the earth would really be filled with people imaging Jesus bearing his likeness in increasing measure so that the world would be, a, would be in a place where they can't help but glorify you because of how you have worked through us. We ask this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.